Fantastic. Hey, good morning, guys. It's awesome to be here. Really is. I just um, love Howick, being an old Howick boy. I spent many years growing up in this wonderful place. And, um, yeah, I, it really is a delight and a privilege for me to come and share. And for those guests that are here today, it's, this is not the normal. And um, so I want you to have your hearts prepared. Because do you know what? God's got something fresh every day. His word is living, it is alive, it produces life, it inspires, it motivates. It's changed my whole world, not just his word, but his spirit and his power. And the same Christ that was alive 2,000 years ago was the same Christ that has turned my life around and I've never been the same. Now, um, to really cut a long story short, my life was one, I grew up in Howick, we were born into a home where our father was an alcoholic, and through those experiences in the formative years, my life was so devastated and impacted by the, the loss of my father when he walked out of my life that from that moment I functioned out of brokenness and hurt. Now, my two brothers went the opposite way, they reached out to God. And likewise, several years later, I watched my mum give her life to Christ, and I watched over 10 years. And I said to myself this, if God is real, I will see it with my family. Other people can con me, but not my own family. I know them better than anyone. And I watched as the living God restored and redeemed each one of my family members and totally transformed them up until this day. But you see, our paths went two different ways. So I went out and I thought I, went, I would find my significance out there in the world. And so I very quickly got caught in a world of drugs and addiction where I'd never planned to end up. And for the next 18 years, to cut a long story short, was caught in a nightmare I couldn't get out of. And you see, you continue to make bad choices and consequences follow. The Bible's very clear on that. What a man sows, so will he reap. I was fortunate to have a mother and two brothers set their face like flint and prayed for their lost brother, their lost son. And 20 years later, I stand as a testimony of the faithfulness of God and honoring my mother and my family's prayers. Now, I could spend just two hours talking to you about my life. That's not why I'm here today. So God became supernaturally real in my world, and I've never been the same. A seed was planted 20 years ago in 1995 and transformed my whole world. Then from there, I ended up at Faith Bible College for four years. It's a two-year course. I ended up there for four years for bad behavior. (laughs) And God made the Word of God become alive to me. I sat under men like Dear Short who were seasoned in the Word for 50 years and I gleaned and I allowed the Word of God to transform me from the inside out. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, if you want me to use you, you must allow me to transform you through my Word and my Spirit. And so for four and a half years, I sat under Faith Bible College. And then from there, I ended up getting married. I met a lady and... um, Ended up inheriting a family of three beautiful children. She'd been married before. Scripture says that children are a gift from God. They are. God trusted me so much, he gave me three instantly. And then to make it really interesting, we had two more. And all of a sudden, I had an instant family and a challenge to try and provide for these wonderful uh, gifts that God had given me. 
I've been married for 14 years this year, and these guys are my world. I love them to bits, and um, I just want to create a new legacy for them so that my children never have to walk through the, the hell that I've walked through. The other thing I do, we formed the ministry in 2002. Mike and I, my twin brother, sat down, and my wife and his wife sat down, and we thought, how can all that I've been through, all that addiction, that brokenness, that devastation, that carnage, how can I now use that for good? I said, God, I have nothing to give you but this broken life. If you can use me, here I am. Very much verbalizing the same words of Isaiah. Here I am. Use me. And you know what? He took me at my word. And we pioneered a charitable trust which is called Amped for Life. And really God used all those experiences to then go and take a message into schools to warn and stand at the top of the cliff of hell basically and warn and wave my hands and say, and really empower them to think about the choices they're making. They're entering in a world of uh, hormones and peer pressure, drugs and alcohol and sexual choices and a whole lot of things. And unless somebody stands there and tells them the truth in love, they're going to cross a line and make decisions which can ultimately have devastating and sometimes fatal effects. My other role is I've been a volunteer ambulance officer for nine years, and I go to suicides. I had a 13-year-old boy die in my arms, and I looked at this beautiful young life, and I thought, what has happened in your world? When you see life and death up close and personal, and you see the frailty of humanity in your hands, it brings home the importance and the drive of why I do what I do in the schools and everything which motivates me. And do you know the one thing it comes back to is this. The love of Christ compels me. I have eternal life. I have that hope within me, but they don't. And unless I can be a visible representation to the world in a real and tangible and loving and non-judgmental way, they're going to go back out there. Who am I? I'm just somebody God scraped off the ground 20 years ago and choose to turn his life around and now use for his glory. It's not about me. never has been. It's about him. And if I can do one thing and influence one life for good, I'll take that. I'll take one. So we minister on average to 20 to 30,000. Last year I spoke in 63 schools to about 20,000 kids. And my passion is to warn and prepare the kids about the potential future that they face. God uses all things we've been through to be a blessing to others. Nothing in your life has been wasted. All the pain, all the brokenness, the addictions, your divorce, your loss of a child or a loved one. Everything can be redeemed if you allow God into your world and help you transform it and then use it for good for God. And this is where we start from a tiny seed of faith that is implanted when we ask Jesus into our life. Then, given the right conditions, watered, fertilized, and nurtured can go on to produce much fruit for his glory. So really, if I was to title a message today, it's called Now Faith Is. If you have your Bibles, and I know that a lot of you don't, and we've got the, um, the scripture up on the thing, but do you know what? I love my Bible. I live in my Bible, and every day I know that unless I set my day right, like my physical man, unless I feed my spirit man, I'm going to get sick and eventually die. We wonder why today Christians struggle in their daily walk. is because they're not feeding their spirit man with the nutrients, the water, the food that they need to sustain and get through. Not only sustain, 
but be proactive in their faith. And I want to be ready for every situation God's got me. So if you've got your Bibles, will you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm going to work from one verse today. Do you know, I spent many, many hours just on this verse. I love the word and it just opens up to me. And I just love pouring over the scriptures and digging deep. We click that again, guys. We're having fun with this clicker today. Here we are. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. From its very beginnings, my life from the moment I got saved right up until now has been built and continues to function out of a tiny seed of faith, often wavering and unsteady, but nonetheless, faith. And each one of you that have received Christ into your heart had that living seed, that word implanted in you. And so we have to create the right conditions for that thing to grow and to flourish and to produce much fruit. So today I want to break this verse down and crack it open a little to feast on the gems that lie within. We start off with the word now. Hebrews 11 starts off with the word now. It's instantly recognizable as a word for the moment. If I say to my kids, now, they jump and they go, shoot, dad means now. The dictionary defines it as an adverb, a word for the moment, a descriptive doing word. It is a word that demands action. If you've got your outlines, you'll find little things to, to fill in there. It's a word that demands action, and it also produces a result. Today is a now moment. We can live in this now moment every waking moment of every day. A faith-filled, supernaturally charged walk, eagerly expectant about what, can, what God can do and will do if we step out on it. Every day when I wake up, I say, God, prepare me today for divine appointments, situations where I can speak a word, where I can encourage and put an arm around somebody, where I can bring life and sow love into somebody and make a difference in that person's life. We can live in this now moment, a faith-filled, supernaturally charged walk, like Peter stepping out of the boat, even with Amp for Life. Do you know what? When I first got saved and we had to create Amp for Life, I was on a sickness benefit of $22,000 a year, and I had to provide for a family of five. And I said, God, unless you come through for me, I'm not going to be able to do this. And then to make it really interesting, we had two more. And all of a sudden, I'm having to provide for a family of seven on 22K a year. But you know what? God was faithful, and we never went without once. On ambulance, when I go on ambulance, when I lay hands on a patient that's dying, I'm believing to see miracles. I'm believing to see healings. And you know what? I've seen that happen, and that's a whole different story. Suffice us to say, everywhere I go, I want to have that preparedness in my spirit to be in that now faith moment. What a fascinating and exciting thought that Jesus wants to have us prepared for the now situations where we can partner with him. And it is a partnership. It's a co-laboring. It's a co-laboring of me and the Holy Spirit. Not God doing it all, because in the past, I thought it was God that had to do it all, and I did nothing. But it's actually God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We have a responsibility to own it and to partner with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to bring this stuff about. He uses broken people like you and I to bring about his purposes. You don't believe me? Read your Bible. Have a look at all the broken people that God used. I'm encouraged about that. Let me tell you. 
If God can use screw-ups like me, there's hope for anyone. Unfortunately, the other thing is not a what-was occurrence, because often we live in that what-was occurrence or a yesterday situation. Unfortunately, many, many of us live in that what-was, that yesterday season and never really press on to that high calling that God has called us for. We get hung up and we get guilty or we get ashamed or we doubt ourselves about things we've done or, or, or regrets from the past. The enemy or even our own thoughts hammer us about what was and as a result we become ineffective in everything we do and we slide into mediocrity, we get in that cruise mode, yeah, yeah, we're functioning, yes, we're saved, but are we really making a difference for the kingdom of God? He neutralizes, Satan neutralizes us completely, so completely that we become ineffective and unproductive for kingdom work. Fear might drive us. And I'm talking to not only you guys, but myself. What drives you? We either function out of two forms, out of fear or out of faith. And I want to encourage you that if you continue to nurture that seed, faith will continue to grow and you will function out of that and see things happen in your world and in the lives of others you never thought possible. And that is that faith seed. And we all took it when we received Christ into our heart. And you know what? The same Christ that rose Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago is dwelling in you and I. There's no difference. These things can rule us, and we never really walk in the amazing opportunities that God wants us to minister in. Me, my past, my addictions, my behaviors, my thoughts, if I'd have listened and functioned out of those, I would have never gone on to do what I'm doing now. 14 years this year, I've spoken into the lives of, on average, 20 to 50,000 kids. Nearly a half a million kids in nearly 15 years. What a privilege. If you'd have told me that 15 years ago, I would have said to you, what sort of drugs are you taking? Because I'd so doubted my own ability. I saw nothing of worth in my own life. But I believed rather than to listen to my own thoughts and negativity, I believed to listen to the the voice of God that said, Son, you are mine and I'm going to use you in spite of you, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your brokenness. And I say, why, Lord? He says, because I choose to. Because your heart is mine. If I look at my own shortcomings, I would have never got anywhere. I took comfort from the Bible and saw that God uses broken people to do great things for him. So fill in that outline, God uses broken people to do great things for him. I look at just some of them. You know, Jacob was a cheater. David had an affair. He was an adulterer. He set that whole thing up, you know. He was dodgy. He premeditated that whole thing with Bathsheba on the rooftop. He premeditated it so much that he set up that dude to go out and fight on the front line, knowing full well that he would be murdered. Now, that's premeditation. And yet, what, what did God say about him? He said, he's a man after my own heart. Because David repented in brokenness, and he paid the price for it. But God then turned his life around and used him to be a man after his own heart. Noah was a drunkard. You know, and example after example after example of people that God chose to use in spite of for his glory. So there's hope for us. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) So he was sort of running on that. Well, hey, there's hope for us. You see, Satan will always try and remind you of your past, your sin, yourself. He's an accuser. Fortunately, I have a great lawyer 
His name is Jesus. And my life is already in his hands. The account has been paid in full. My debt is zero. I'm on a journey of becoming more like Christ every day. You guys figured that? We're on a journey to the day we step across that veil. We're becoming more like Christ, that process of sanctification, where day by day, he increases and I decrease, hopefully. More of him and less of me. Every day I fail, but I'm hanging on by my fingernails, like Peter and John saying, where else can we go, Lord, for you alone have the words of life. I know what's out there. I don't ever want to go back there. I buried 57 of my friends, people that I loved and cared about, people that were part of our world that we will never see again. I never want to go back there. I fail often, but I'm not giving up. And even Paul resonates... uh, Sorry, Paul resonates in the book of Philippians. He says this, forgetting what is behind or the former things, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on, I press toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ. So we know God is the same yesterday, today and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. So let's roll with him and live in the now moment where faith is, not was or will be, but it is today. And today, as you step out the store, I want you to look for those now faith moments because they're there everywhere you look. And we miss it because we're so consumed in the noise and the busyness of now and other things that we miss that now moment. Not even a what will be moment or a future event can shake us. You know, talk about ISIS and global financial crashes, wars and rumors of wars can shake us. There's so much turmoil, so much uncertainty, a place where often Christians get caught up in this rubbish. Remember Y2K? And the people that were pushing the barrow the most were Christians. All the planes are going to fall out of the sky and we're going to all get all of a sudden all the computers are going to crash and blah, blah, blah. The fact of it is, um, Scripture says this. So don't worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. There's no need to add to the troubles every day brings. You see, God gives us enough for now. Tomorrow will come soon enough. I love the way the Message Bible... Here we are. I love the way the Message Bible translates this verse, and it says, Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You know, we get so caught up and stressed and fearful about things. Even if the worst came to the worst and I was to die, hey, it's a win-win for me. Yeah? So what's your problem? (laughs) You can't take it with you, and that's what I figured. Hey, I don't care. If the worst comes to the worst, it's a win-win for me. I know where I'm going, and I'm quite excited about that thought. Not that I want to go there just yet. But if it was to come. And uh, the other thing is that, uh, do you want to click that slide, dude? Oh. Scripture says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. What a promise. Do you want, I lie down at night now. There's a scripture and it says, and I never used to sleep well at all. Being an addict, you'd sleep two or three hours and then you'd wake up. And, but when I came to the Lord, I said, Lord, one thing I really want to do is learn to be able to sleep well. 
And he said, Lord, uh, son, use my word to help you. So I memorized the scripture and it says this, I will lie down and sleep in perfect peace for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And do you know what? I sleep like a baby now. I could sleep through an earthquake. It's quite frightening, actually, because I sleep like the dead. And I wake up. I'm normally awake anywhere between four and six. But I only have sometimes four or five hours. And yet I felt like I've slept 12. It's incredible. I'm not worried about tomorrow because whatever comes tomorrow, God will give me the strength to help me through with whatever I'm facing. So today I want to challenge you, who is your sure foundation? Where is your heart? Where is your confidence really? If push come to shove, is it in what you have, what you've achieved, your education, what you've succeeded in? Where is your hope right now, really? You see, one thing I learned years ago, and this was a a real incredible insight for me, was that my greatest strength being my own independence can actually become my greatest weakness. The propensity to rely on myself rather than on God through faith is always a challenge. Anyone agree with that? When you're up against a wall and you've got, or down on the ground and you've got no place to, you've got no lower to go, there's only one place you can look and it's up. And then you reach up and grab that help. And I've learned that in my place of brokenness when I was in that recovery place years ago, it was easy to have that faith because I, had no, I was empty. I had no strength left. But as I got stronger, the propensity to swing back into my own independence rather than relying on God has always been a challenge. And every day it's a challenge. Who are we relying on? Is it faith-based? or? And it's a gentle balance between sovereignty and responsibility. Again, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Don't let it become all you or it becomes humanism. And God's not interested in that. Where is your hope right now? I think that the words of this song really express this. And I love the song. It's an old Irish song that came out years ago. And it says this. When it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Do you know what? When it's all been said and done, we're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, son, what did you do with what I gave you? And I don't ever want to stand there and hang my head and say, Lord, I didn't do anything. My brokenness and everything I've walked through, I say, well, Lord, I tried to use that to make a difference in the lives of people. When it's all been said and done, what are we going to do for him? If I can influence one life for good, that'll do. I'll take one. I'll take another one tomorrow. It's not about numbers and bums on seats. It's about influence and it's about impact. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Faith to be, love to be seen as love expressed. People used to tell me they loved me. When I was living out, doing it rough, I had well-meaning people telling me I was a sinner going to hell. What I actually needed them to say was, bro, we love you and demonstrate that by helping me in my place of brokenness. Tomorrow becomes a now moment, the minute we wake up. It becomes active and real, ready for whatever is. 
Why don't we settle our hearts and mind today to embrace the now moment? Be expectant, be hungry, be excited, and be prepared because God, believe it or not, wants to become alive in you and through you now, today, this moment, this very day. I love walking with God because the moment my faith becomes religious exercise, I'm going to dry up and get crusty and religious and bitter and cynical. I want my faith to be alive so that I am ready. Because again, the same Christ that rose, uh, same God that rose Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me. And I can walk out functioning, knowing that he wants to minister through me today, now. So we need to move to the next thing, now faith. I want to be a person that's constantly living in the faith of the now. Be ready and in season for whatever the Lord places on my path. A faith that's alive and vibrant and that is naturally supernatural. Those now moments where God wants to move in and through you. I believe these situations require an immediate act of obedience. When we do this, I know that it releases incredible opportunity for God to move. When I was at Bethel House, and I had many of these now moments when I was at this rehab center. One day I was cooking for, we had 12 guys in the house, most of them all Maori, and uh, they used to eat like there was no tomorrow. They used to devour. So my job was to cook for these guys. I'm peeling the spuds one night, and I felt the Lord impress upon me, Pat, go down to Kopi, to the post machine and check your money in the machine. I said, well, I know how much is in there. $2.87. He said, don't question me. Just get on your motorbike and go down. So I got down to Kobe, put my card in the machine, $2.87. I'm going, see? (laughs) He said, wrap up and look across the road. I looked across the road and in the foyer of this bank, there was a figure lying there, a rather large figure of six foot four. And the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I want you to go over and tell this guy that I love him and have a plan for his life. And if he's ever in need, all he has to do is cry out from his heart and I'll hear him. Now, this guy was a six foot four mongrel mob member, fully tattooed. And I'm looking at this guy and thinking about myself going, he's going to rip my head off. (laughs) And as I walked across the road, I felt the Lord give me a strategy. And he said, feed his stomach first. Now, all I had in my pocket was a $2 coin. And so as I walked across the road, the Lord spoke to me and said, feed him. So I got over there and I spoke to him and said, hey man, what's happening? You've been kicked out of home. He said, yeah, big row with the missus, big domestic, and uh, I'm living on the street. I said, are you hungry? He said, yeah, I am, bro. So I said, well, wait here. I jumped on my motorbike and I went down Maccas and got two 95 cent burgers back in the day and raced back there. And I handed these burgers to him and I said, bro, I've fed you physical, man. I said, but I need to tell you something else. It's going to sound really strange. And then I proceeded to share the gospel with him and tell him that God loved him and had a plan for his life. And that if he ever needed to be in that place of brokenness and he needed to reach out, all he had to do was cry out from his heart and he'd hear him. And the Lord spoke to me and said, now you've done what I've asked, now go. And I had many, many other situations. I haven't got enough time to tell on that today. Suffice us to say, I was obedient to that thing. Now, how bizarre would you think? You know, you just brushed that thought off as like, what the, I would have put it down to old drugs coming back, you know, a bit of a flashback or something. But I was obedient to step out on that. Scripture says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, first of all, and then that he rewards those who seek him. This faith is an anchor for our souls when all is crumbling around us. It is a resolute belief, and knowing that in spite of what has happened or what is happening or about to happen, it rests securely in the absolute surety that it will be. 
On what basis do I cling on to that? It's according to his word. A childlike understanding which simply trusts, hold on to and believes. Years ago, the captain of a large ship set sail with his family from Liverpool. His destination was New York. One night, when everyone else was asleep, a sudden storm arose. The wind came sweeping over the water, struck the vessel and almost capsized it. Everything movable was sent tumbling and crashing, and the passengers became aware that they were in imminent danger. Everyone was freaking out, and many jumped out of bed and began to get dressed in case the ship sank. The captain's daughter, just eight years of age, was awakened by the commotion and cried out, What's the matter? When they told her about the storm, she asked, Is my dad on deck? Assured that he was, the little girl lay back down onto her pillow without any fear. In spite of the howling wind and crashing waves, she was soon fast asleep. This ought to be the attitude of Christians as we face the rough seas and stormy days of life, that our lives are in his hands, comforted and assured that he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. For we live by faith and not by sight. My mum, sitting here today, had that pit bull-like determination, standing on the promise of, of God, which a yea and amen, where she set her face like flint and said, God, I, I want all my sons not only redeemed, but walking with you. And she and I are the fulfillment of that today, knowing I've watched my mother's faith, and now she set her face like flint to pray for her grandchildren that aren't yet all walking with God. But hey, it ain't over yet. And with my mother's tenacity and perseverance, bang, 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 knocking on God's nugget and saying, give me my grandchildren, I'm sure we're going to see the fulfillment of that. So I want to encourage you that are here today. If you have family that you've been resolutely praying for, do not ever look in the eyes of the natural because you will get the wrong picture of what's going on. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, things we cannot see, but nonetheless. And if we activate and use our carnal weapon, our, our divine weapons, and pull down those strongholds, we can see great breakthrough. Great breakthrough. And now faith which is childlike and absolutely trusting that our heavenly daddy wants the best for his children. Do you know what? My own kids have taught me a lot about this now faith. Seth. I took them out, like, I love creating memories with my kids, and I, took, I got a grab one voucher and went out on a fishing charter boat. There was about 19 of us on this boat. Well, we're having a terrible morning. I'd caught about three fish, and Seth had caught none. And he was really getting, I could see his face getting lower and lower. And he turned around there and said this to me. He said, Dad, he said, do you think if I pray to God and ask him for something he'll give me a really big fish and I said well you know Seth we can you know, we can pray and you have little faith well stuff me I'm not telling you within five minutes my rod went Whoa! peeled over well the line went one way he went the other but I helped him pull this fish in and the next thing seriously I couldn't believe it <laughs> I had to eat my words. You see, the faith of a little boy. There is no little Holy Ghost. There is no little Holy Spirit. Figure that one. And um, so I couldn't believe it. And I've seen moment after moment. And again, last year we went to Samoa. And the year before we'd gone and he wanted to go out on a charter boat. It was 700 bucks. I didn't have that. But I said, look, I'm sorry, Seth, we can't. But last year... He said, Dad, could we go fishing? I said, all right, son. So we went out on this charter boat, 
and catching nothing. It was like two and a half, three hours and nothing. And Seth said to me, this is the, again the thinking of a child. He said, Dad, why would God give us the opportunity to come fishing if he isn't going to give us anything to take home? Isn't that a waste of money? How do you answer that? Well, you know, what, how, how did I answer that? And I said, well, Seth, I don't know. Well, again, he prayed. I watched him put his head down, and the next thing, the rod peels off. Well, stuff me. Again, I couldn't believe it. It was like I'm forever repenting to my kids, you know. <laughs> Who says that God doesn't answer the prayers of a little boy? Do you know what? I have seen God's faithfulness with my children's prayers. Week in, week out, year. There's not a day I haven't gone through where I haven't laid hands on my children and imparted faith and life. Even before they were born, I laid hands while they're in their mother's womb to speak faith and life and prophesy over them, to declare a legacy. And do you know what? I've seen it activated time and time again. Now, we felt really bad because there was another couple on the boat with us. And they'd got nothing. And we felt terrible. So again, unbeknownst to me, Seth puts his head down. And he's praying. And I'm praying that God would honor these people. Well, the next thing, again, stuff me. This lady's rod goes peeling out. And she ended up pulling in a big giant trevally as well. So that we were able to God, again, honoured those prayers, and I've seen it again and again. Even with Ella, Ella, on her fifth birthday party, she wanted a pool party, and she had these two little paddling pools side by side and beach umbrellas, and she wanted us to come round and serve her cocktails to all her friends. I'm serious. But the weather was atrocious. I mean, it was stormy. It was like a cyclone. And on the Friday night, she was going to have it on the Saturday morning, and... Um, she, I went to sit and kneel down and pray with her. And uh, she said, Dad, she said, I've just prayed. And Jesus has told me that I'm going to have a fine day tomorrow. There's not going to be a cloud in the sky. And I'm going to have my party. Well, again, stuff a duck. <laughs> the, heaven, the heavens, it's like the clouds parted. The sun came out. It was uh, 11 o'clock, 11.30. It had been stormy in the morning, and I'm just sweating, thinking, what's going to happen here? Well, by 12 o'clock, by the time her friends got there, she had her little pool party happening and us walking around with these little cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and I love God. You know, I really do. I'm forever repenting to my kids about my lack of faith. But um, Scripture says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know? Often we have not because we ask not. And I've seen that happen so many times. God wants to bless the little children, all those believe who are completely dependent on him. Childlike faith that simply believes. People who will walk and function in the now faith moment. We move on a little bit before we continue to read in Hebrews. Now faith is the substance of things. Faith has a substance. It's not airy, fairy, pie in the sky. It has substance and it's something concrete, something with which we can have an assurance for. It is our reassurance that God will do exactly what he's promised to do. It is a sure foundation that cannot be changed or moved. It is built on the promises of God and his word and his blood, and it cannot be altered because he cannot lie. He is faithful. Our faith in God through Christ is the core foundation upon which our lives as Christians are built. It is unshakable. Faith is what makes him become real in our lives. 
Therefore, the Lord says, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. This is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus who was to come. To understand the word substance, we have to look into the Greek to really get a gauge on what this word's trying to emphasize. And we find that assurance is the right word. The American Standard Bible says that faith is the assurance of things. Something solid, something concrete, something that we can be totally confident in. Genuine assurance naturally leads to real peace and joy, knowing that somehow... God's going to work it all out. For me, this has all been demonstrated and tried over 20 years of testing in all areas of my life. Faith is an assurance by God of our hopes. The word assurance conveys a certain something from God that stands beneath and supports our hopes, transforming them into reality. I first became aware of this, of God, because my eyes saw his handiwork everywhere. I don't know about you, but even as a child, I looked outside and I could see a divine architect. I could see design and purpose and everything that I looked at. You'd have to be a, you know, it takes more faith to be an atheist, to be honest. True? I look at the design of things out there. Scripture says, It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens. When I called out the stars, they all appeared in order. You see, faith in God must have a foundation, and listening is the means by which the foundation is formed. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, if we wonder why our faith is floundering, we're not feeding our faith seed, that seed, with the word of God, which is going to increase our faith. And sadly, in today's world, not this church, of course, but I go into some churches and they don't even preach the word anymore. I love the word. It's the word that brings conviction. It's the word that brings life. It's an absolute confidence and a trust that what he's promised he will do. When I was going through this recovery in Bethel House, God became very real for me. It was that faith that had to be activated. And I had a benzodiazepine habit. It was a tranquilizer addiction. I've been taking anywhere from 20 to 40 pills a day just to function. And the Lord challenged me and said, do you really believe I can do what I say I can do? I said, well, I'm about to find out. Because if you don't come through for me, I'm going to die. Now, I don't encourage anyone else to do this. This was for me personally. But he challenged me and said, son, I want you to go down to the sink and tip those things down the sink. My life was totally dependent on this bottle I'd been reliant on for for 18 years. And in the natural, it was something that was insanity. But I said, all right, if you don't come through for me, I'm going to die anyway. As I stood there and tipped them down the sink, I thought, I finally lost my mind. I fell on the ground and said, God, I have nothing left. And he said, now we can start the work. I was supernaturally set free from that tranquilizer addiction. I had two minor epileptic seizures. And from there, I was totally set free from those benzodiazepines. Facing your mortality has an uncanny way of challenging your belief system. In the natural, what he was asking me to do was crazy. But then he activated and breathed on that step of faith. And the results were tangible and real. It's not a blind and stupid faith. It's a faith that stands on the word and the promises of God. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We see the same faith being acted on with Abraham. When in Genesis, God told Abraham, I will certainly bless you and I'll multiply your descendants beyond number. God had earlier told Abraham that the promise would come through his son, Isaac, the promised son. 
Abraham waited patiently 25 years, but he indeed did have a son, and he received part of what God had promised. A few years later, God said to him, I want you to go out and now kill your son. And he could have said, well, get behind me, Satan, or you're dreaming. You know, he'd waited all that long for a promise, and then the next thing God's saying, I want you to kill him. But um, the wonderful thing is that he knew that God had made a promise and an oath. He'd given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Why? Because it is impossible for God to lie. We know that God had got it covered all along, a mind-blowing test of faith. Therefore, I love that word. Therefore is an amazing word in the Bible. You always look to the preceding verses before you see that word, and that's why it's therefore. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Abraham left Mount Moriah early the next morning, motivating him to do in faith what God had commanded. His word, his promise, and an oath. God had told Abraham that the promise would come through his son, so there'd be only two outcomes. If God wanted him to put him to death, he'd resurrect him, or he'd provide a substitute. Either way, Isaac could live. Abraham added up the evidence and produced the motivation. So, coming back to Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It is a hope full of assurance and confidence, even though we may not see it yet. It's the same faith that's highlighted in Hebrews 11. You see, all the heroes of faith, individual after individual, stepped out in that same hope. Even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. Another translation says, because she regarded the one who'd given the promise to be trustworthy. God had promised, and that was the end of it in her mind. So in every case of faith, faith is sustained by the word of God. God has spoken. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. This is a starting point. It has to be God. It has to be God first in everything. Each one of us, when we receive Christ into our heart, stepped out in that faith, that God moment, where God spoke to us in some way. And as a result, we did We stepped out in faith because God had spoken to us personally. We don't know how things are going to work out, but we trust in his word and in his voice and by his spirit. Just because, and also reflecting on his faithfulness in the past. And you know, often when I doubt, I just look back and I remember his faithfulness. And that's why in the old days, they used to create monuments to remind them of God's faithfulness in the past, just in case they wavered. And for me, I go back and I think, God, you are faithful. Your word has promised me you'll never leave me, for forsake me. And I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to come through. These heroes of faith not only live righteous lives in the present, we're nearly done, but also moved and acted with a steady eye on the future. Their faith had its foundation in the invisible God, whose word they obeyed. It was not just the promise of salvation or even eternal life before them that made them so unflinchingly faithful. It was also their steadfast hope of a better tomorrow in God's kingdom. Like us, we haven't got there yet. But we press on, looking forward to a better future. Not that we have already attained, we keep going. Finally, 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is a faith that perseveres and endures to the end. I believe Job echoed this enduring attitude. We read in Job 30, 13, sorry, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job lost everything, and we know it was a test from Satan. God said, test my servant. And even though he lost everything, he wouldn't uh, curse God, but he continued with this attitude, God, I don't understand what's going on through all of this, but no matter what, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I, don't, I can't see the big picture, but I know you can. That same enduring faith that this chapter is trying to teach us. You can see that most clearly in the verses that lead up to that. I love this. I love Hebrews. Amazing book. Some say speculation as to who wrote it. I personally think Paul wrote it. But it says, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings with you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he's promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. For we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose soul will be saved. In other words, the evidence of authentic saving faith is pressing on that enduring, persevering attitude that no matter what, God, I'm not going anywhere. I've got you. I'm holding on to you. A go hard or a go home kind of faith. A faith that's lived every day. A tenacious faith that totally is dependent and sold out for the cause. And that's what chapter 11 is talking about here. All these people, all those heroes of faith, still believing what God had promised for them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. Like them, remember what Jesus' Jesus' words? Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believed. That's us. You know, the disciples walked with God and they all screwed it up. There's hope for us. <laughs> That's my encouragement. I think that they walked with the dude for three years, you know, and if they blew it, there's encouragement for me. And I've got to look in the eyes of the unseen and stand on the promise and oath that he won't back out. He won't let us down. None of these Old Testament figures witness the fulfillment of all the promises, but they all believe God would keep them. In closing, I finish with these words from Hebrews 11. And all of these, and here's the other translation of this, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. And you are all part of this, a body of believers that are on a journey of growing and becoming more and more like Christ every day. Finally, we read, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you'd like to close your eyes and bow your head, I just want to quickly just speak into your spirit. Let us continue to press in, to flourish and to grow, to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on our faith, that we, as we journey into 2016, God would increase and we would decrease, Mm. that Jesus would become more real in and through our lives day by day, that we wouldn't settle for mediocrity and safety, but we'd be willing to co-label with Jesus to make a difference in our homes, in our sphere of influence, in our communities, in our churches, in the places that he's put us, that other people would be drawn to him. 
let your light shine so that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So, Father, I just pray for this wonderful group of believers here today. I pray that in every way you would reveal more and more of who you are in and through them. Lord, that they would continue to just delve deeper into who you are through your word. Lord, they would make time to spend time with you. Because what better way to get to know somebody than to spend time with them? Lord, and often we put those things aside and we put off the urgent to go to the important. When really, without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, I speak blessing. I pray for Ian and Kim as they're away, that you would give them a wonderful break. And, Lord, that you would encourage each and every one of us here today as we leave here, that we could step out in the now faith moment. God bless. Thank you so much.